So Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, you are the author of these words. And so we ask tonight that you would also be their teacher. By the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would be with us tonight. And that you would, that you would work. That you would break into hearts of ours that are naturally hard. That you would unstop ears of ours that are naturally clogged that you would break in with your word and cause us to hear what you would have us to hear. Father, we ask that expectantly and hopefully in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I think that there would be a lot that would be really cool about being an actor. But I think one of the things that would not be so cool about it would be the fact that, ironically, if you're doing a good job at it, that I think people often get you confused with your character, right? I think that could be a really frustrating thing that people would come up to you and they would feel like they know you because they know your character. They've watched your show. I mean, I feel like that with the shows that I watch. You know, you feel like, I think think I'd be friends with that person. Uh, But I can imagine that would be frustrating, right? How long would, I mean, just think about it for yourself. How long of hanging out with uh, Rain Wilson, who plays Dwight Schrute on The Office, how long would you have to hang out with him before you wouldn't expect him to act like Dwight? Right? So I could imagine that if you're an actor, that 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 aspect of things could could be frustrating. It could be somewhat of a battle to get people to know you for who you are and not some character, their projection of you. And I want to throw out to you tonight that I think that that's basically exactly what's going on in the heart of this commandment that we're looking at tonight. That what God is telling us in this second commandment is that he wants us to know him for who he really is. That God wants us to know him for who he really is. And so God commands us not to import any sort of image Not to come up or create any sort of image of him ourselves, but rather let him reveal who he is. So he commands us that we're not allowed to make images, right? Make idols of anything and bow down and worship them, right? If you've been with us, you know that this semester we're studying through the Ten Commandments. And like we've said, the Ten Commandments will serve for us sort of like a, a window and a mirror at the same time that it's going to act like a window, so to speak, uh, through which we can look and see the very character of God and experience who He really is. And at the same time, the law, the Ten Commandments, are going to act like a mirror for us 
which will reflect to us what we're really like. And so as we look into this command for a few minutes tonight, I think what we're going to see is that our reflection, what it's going to reflect about us is that we are people that tend to want to craft God into our image and not the other way around. That we tend to think of God in basically in any other way than he really is. And what we're going to see, we're going to see a God that's so gracious that he won't let us destroy ourselves. And so he gives us a command against that. He commands us not to image him so that we don't destroy ourselves. So I want to look at that tonight in three ways. I want to see three things. First, I want you to see the problem of creating images. Secondly, I want you to see the practice of creating images. We'll talk about sort of how we do it. Thirdly, we'll look at the provision of the true image. Okay? So first, the problem of creating images. And I want to start by saying that you might think, this sounds almost exactly like what we talked about last week. What's the difference between the first and the second commandments? A few of you even asked me this week, uh, sort of reading ahead, like you're prone to do. What... um, What's the difference between the two? And look, in many ways, you're right. There's a ton of overlap, right? They're very similar. There's a lot of overlap between the two, but they are distinct. And I think the best way to think of the distinction is this. That the first commandment, like we focused on last week, is primarily about what or who we worship. And, of course, God says, you're only to worship me. So it's about what or who we worship. And the second commandment, this one, is about how we worship him. Okay? Makes sense? That it's about how we worship. And I think a great example of that is what we see actually immediately following uh, God giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus. In Exodus 32, that's where we read about the whole golden calf incident, incident, right? where the people, basically Moses has been on the mountain for so long and they're not really sure if he's coming back and so they they sort of get impatient and they ask Aaron to make gods for them to worship. And so they take off their jewelry and whatnot and Aaron forms, fashions this image of this calf or whatever, this, this golden calf or bull or something like that. And Aaron in a 32, 4 and 5 says this, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then later, and, seeing, and then upon seeing them worship, he said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, in all caps, Yahweh. And so what I want you to see is that at least in part, at least in part, what the Israelites were trying to do, they were trying, in some sense, to worship God that brought them out of Israel. They were trying to worship Yahweh, but they were trying to do it through this thing. Through this image. And God in this commandment basically says, that is not okay. I can't let you do that. So what's the problem with it? Why is it a big deal? Why does he make this prohibition? And one of the, at least one reason, and the, one, the main one that I want to pitch to you tonight, is this. That an image of God, an idol, is going to actually conceal more about God than it reveals. Right? I think we all get the temptation that we're we're physical beings, right? It would be nice to be able to have something that we can actually see, maybe even touch, right? Right? God is real, so it would be nice to have something physical that we can see and touch. 
But God says, no, you can't do that. And here's why. Because think about, uh, for instance, that golden calf or bull, whatever it was. That that actually might, it might tell you something about God. Maybe it, it might display a little something about his strength, right? But it doesn't tell you anything about God's mercy or his holiness. A, a picture of Jesus. It might show you something of his compassion, right? De- depending on what's depicted. But it doesn't show you anything about his power or his grace or any other aspect, maybe. And so I think at best, any image of God that that we create is going to basically be like a caricature drawing of God. Right? You know what that is? The caricature, like, uh, you know, typically you find them at like touristy destinations, right, where uh, an artist will draw you. But they basically pick one, one or two aspects of you, generally something on your face, and they draw it way out of proportion. Right? They, they pick one or two things and they just overblow it. Right? I, I think that any image that you and I, that we create, is going to be sort of like that. It's going to key in on maybe one or two aspects of God and kind of you know, blow them out of proportion. But unfortunately, it, it ignores the rest. It conceals more than it reveals. And we could continue the illustration, right? Um, Does that picture look like you? A little bit. But it doesn't look as much like you as a photograph. So could someone relate to that picture and know you? Well, of course not. Why? Because that picture is not even a good picture of you, much less the real you. And I think that's exactly what God is getting at. That's the problem. Images, by their definition, are going to conceal more than they reveal. All right, so let's dive into what sort of the meat of this. We see the problem of it. It'll conceal more than it really reveals. Sort of counterintuitive, maybe. But let's look at the practice of creating images. Because I think the best way to look into the problem of idolatry is to look at how you and I break this commandment. What does it look like? Because most of us probably don't struggle with literally crafting some image, right? And and bowing down to it and worshiping it. Probably don't do that, though. Certainly possible. But what I want you to see that as as we look into the heart of this command, that what you're going to see is that you and I still fashion an image of God by default probably all the time. We at least struggle with it. Right? We just tend to do it in our hearts and our minds. And so God is wanting us in this commandment to see, I want you to worship the real me. I don't want... Let me say it like this. That in a sense, God is saying, look, please don't get creative with who you think I am. Because if you, if, if you try to come up with your definition of me, it's just by default going to be wrong. Let me define me. Because however, however we're, whatever we're going to come up with, by default, because we're sinners, it's going to be skewed in some way. And so what I want you to see is that when we do that, when we, make some, when we come up with our own image of God, right? you hear people say this a lot, I like to think of God as dot, 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 right? Or I like to think of God as being whatever. But what I want to 
what I want to get you to think about is that when we do that, that what we're really relating to is nothing more than a God that we have made up. And that when we do that, all that's going ha- to result is dysfunction. Right? When we relate to an, to an image that we've crafted, and we don't relate to the real God as he reveals himself, which we're going to talk about in a minute, all that's going to result is dysfunction. I'll give you a couple of illustrations, right? You see it a lot in dating, I think, unfortunately, and marriage, right? You've probably seen it, either you've experienced it or you've seen it in your friends. Uh, a couple starts to date, and one of them, maybe both, but one of them um, basically has this idea of who they're dating, or maybe the idea of the ideal girlfriend, let's say, and really they're trying to relate to the real person as if they're the ideal, Right? So they have expectations, right? you know, that they think, again, I'm kind of picking on the guys, but that a girlfriend should, um, you know, respond in certain ways, should do certain things, should, you know, um, pick one. Like, a girlfriend is supposed to automatically do something with me. We're supposed to do something together every weekend. That's just automatic. It's just what happens, right? So if you call at 7 o'clock on Friday night and say, like, hey, I'm going to come get you in five minutes, and they say, well, I've already planned to do something with the girls, and and you get mad about it, right? Right? You start, you get huffy, and you're like, "Fine, have fun," you know, and you act like an idiot. What's the problem there? The problem is you you have this ideal, and you're trying to relate to it, but not her or him, right? And so n- nothing happens but dysfunction. It just doesn't work right. I'll give you another illustration. This one might just be more fun for me, but hey, friend of mine, Brian, die-hard Ole Miss fan. Diehard Ole Miss fan. And he says, uh, so Ole Miss has gotten a little better at football, a little better. So, you know, think, think five years ago, ten years ago. I know you don't care. But basically there's the Ole Miss spirit that gets put out every, you know, however often, magazine. And he said he would read the Ole Miss spirit and it would tell all about Ole Miss football. And so it tells all about how, you know, as you're getting ready for the season, it tells about how the coaches have a new plan, right? We hired this new coach and he's going to strategize this way. And it goes through every position, and it talks about this guy's gift and how he's skilled at that and this and that. And it, and it makes us look awesome. And so Brian said, I go into the season armed with this Ole Miss spirit version of the Rebels, right? And that's the team that I go to root for, and then I see what we really are. And he's nothing but angry. Typically how you are if you're an Ole Miss fan. And what's his problem? Right, the exact same thing. He's got this idea in his mind that's just not real. And the more he tries to relate, so to speak, to that, the more problems it causes. Because it's just fake. So I think you get the idea, right? That if and when we do that in our relationship with God, then it's going to cause problems because our picture of God is out of step with reality. All right, so what does that look like for us? What's the so what of that? Well, where you see spiritual dysfunction in your life, it can very often, and I almost want to say always, but so as not to be you know, hyperbolic, we'll say very often, it can very often be traced back to some wrong view of God. That where you see spiritual dysfunction in your life, it can at least very often be traced back to a wrong view of God. I'll give you some examples. 
If you're always frustrated and angry when things don't go your way, right? when life hands you some sort of difficulty, it always just makes you mad. And so therefore you're frustrated a lot. Maybe, just maybe, it could be because your image of God is that basically he is... He's sort of the um, sort of the magic genie version of God. That he that he is uh, you sort of got. He, he's your personal assistant, right? He's your helper, and you sort of can pull him out. And he's supposed to help you through the hard times because you've grabbed hold of the idea that God is your ever-present help in trouble, right? Which he is, but you sort of caricatured that aspect, and that that's all God is. It's out of step with reality. Or maybe the flip side, when you face difficulty or life hands you some sort of tragedy, maybe you feel really cold and distant toward God and you just sort of, um, you just sort of check out, kind of despondent about it, uh, not, not invested enough to get angry, but just kind of like, yeah, whatever, it happens, right? And maybe it's because you've sort of caricatured God's sovereignty, and that really you just sort of picture God as this sort of sovereign um, you know, deity in the sky that just sort of doles out hard times and good times and blessings and curses just sort of at random. And so when it comes your way, whatever. Or maybe you struggle with feeling insecure. You know, maybe you're always afraid that you don't measure up. You always worry, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not funny enough cool enough, whatever. And maybe it's because you have an image of God that he's constantly evaluating you. That he's constantly measuring you to see if you add up. And therefore he's constantly changing his opinion of you. He's sort of the, um, uh, what have you done for me lately, God? Or maybe you find yourself really condescending to other people. Particularly other people uh, if you're a believer, uh, uh, condescending to other people that don't seem to take Christianity and God as seriously as you do. And that, it just bugs you. And so you're, you're frustrated about people like that. Especially maybe people, if it's evidence in so, that they struggle with some sort of sin that you've conquered. Thank you very much. Right? You've gotten past that. And it just bugs you to see people like that. Well, maybe... Maybe it's because you imagine God to essentially just be this big taskmaster in the sky, right? That all he does is give, give rules, and if you follow the rules, good, but if not, you know, back of the line. Maybe you find yourself always feeling like you have to justify your existence by how hard you work. And so therefore, you don't ever rest. It's always one more thing, and you're burned out and you're tired, but there's no way you're going to let anybody see that or you're ever going to tell anybody about that. You can't let it show. And maybe it's essentially because you view God as, a, uh, as the um, sort of the God helps those who help themselves God. You know, maybe you have the view of God that, yeah, God gives out grace. He's gracious enough to give me an opportunity, but then it's, it's up to me to prove that I'm worth it. Maybe you find yourself miserable with the effects of sin in your life. The sin is just sort of rampant in your life and maybe you don't even really know why. And maybe it's because you have sort of the, um, 
the God is sort of the, just the, the picture of God is just sort of the, the kindly grandfather, right? Kind of gives you whatever you want. And he just kind of, if you do something wrong, he just kind of gives you the like wink, like, well, we won't tell your mom about that, right? But God doesn't really take sin seriously. Maybe that's your view. So, like, I think you get the point, right? Um, how do we get those distorted images? Like, there's all kinds of ways that we can come up with those distorted images. You know, maybe, unfortunately, it scares me to death. Maybe it's, you got it from your parents, right? The way your parents treated you. Uh, maybe it's from bad teaching in your church. Maybe it's just the way you filter uh, your own experiences and the way you project God to be. All kinds of different ways. But when we come up with our own image of God, it's problematic, to say the least. I think you get that. So, all that begs the question, how should we view God? How should we? What is God like? And here's the good news. Here's what I want you to see. That the commandment doesn't say that God, that God is not going to show us who he is. That we're, not, that we're not able to have some sort of understanding of God. Or that he doesn't want us to know what he's like. The commandment just says that we are not supposed to create it. And really, there's almost an implicit promise that he will give it to us. That he's going to reveal who he is. And of course, he does, right? And that's where we are. Our third point, I want you to see that when you see the, the provision of the true image of God. All right, get this. Colossians 1.15 It's speaking about Jesus, and it says this. He, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Did you hear what that says? That God, Paul is writing this, inspired by God. He says, Jesus is the image of God. Hebrews tells us the very imprint of his nature He is the, so we can say it like this, if you want to know what God is like, how should I think about God? Look at Jesus. What's God like? He is exactly like Jesus. And so how do we know what Jesus is like and what he did? Well, we know that by by the word of God, right? That's where he reveals himself. God's telling us that we we can't get creative with how we think about him because we're going to mess it up. We're going to miss it. But he says, I will tell you exactly what I'm like. Not only will I tell you, but I'm going to show you in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in the word incarnate and in the word written. And so what it means for us that Jesus is the perfect image of God, of the invisible God at that, is that we, that we need to and that we get to replace all of our false images of God with Jesus. We get to take all of that, or at least check our images of God against Jesus. So it sort of answers the question, what do we do in the midst of all that dysfunction that we all have? We get to take the wrong picture of God as we trace it back, and we replace it with Jesus, and we look at Jesus. And what do we find when we do that? What you find when you look at Jesus in the Bible you find that Jesus says he's the good shepherd who who leads his people. 
And he, he, always, he leads his people, and sometimes he does lead through the valley of the shadow of death. But when he does so, he's right there with you to protect you. And that ultimately, what we see is that Jesus is going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe even better, it's just the valley of death, not even just the shadow. He's going to go through the valley of death himself. And he's going to do it by himself. Because he's going to do it for you. He's going to do it in your place. What else do we find? We find that, we find that he's the God that always gives good gifts to his children. He knows exactly what we need. And he gives us exactly that. Whatever it is. Ultimately his life. What else do we find? We find that you know, if you're obviously trying to match these with the examples that we gave earlier. If you find yourself feeling insecure, I don't measure up. Right? You get to look and see, what do you find when you, when you look at Jesus? You have a Savior, you have a God that, was, that is so accepting that he embraces anyone that wants to come to him. Think about the people that Jesus embraced. The social outcast, the, the freak shows of society, lepers, hookers, the worst of the worst. And those are the people that Jesus brought in with open arms. That's the picture of God that we have. At the same time, we also find a God that is holy, 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 that takes sin very seriously. That when he teaches on the law, people are astounded at the authority with which he taught it. It's almost like, because he did, it's almost like he authored it. He talks about sin as being so serious, going to lengths of cutting off, metaphorically, cutting off body parts to stop it. So he's holy, holy, holy. And yet at the same time, he's so gracious and he's so loving and he's so merciful that he offers to step into your place and take all of that, all of the punishment that you and I deserve on himself. That he's not a God of condemnation. He is holy, holy, holy. But he's a God of grace. He takes it on himself. And so I want you to hear, as I, we're going to finish right now. What I, I want you to hear what I'm not saying. Okay? What we're not saying is that Jesus is the perfect image of God as if God sort of puts Jesus up on the board and says, like, okay, here it is. This is what we want. Good luck. Go get them. Right? That's, that's exactly not what we're saying fundamentally. Right? If, if you were with us last semester, we talked a lot about how Jesus is first and foremost a substitute before he's an example. Is he an example? Absolutely. But first and foremost, he's a substitute. So why does he do all this? Why does God do all this? It's in the passage. Because he loves you. He's jealous for you. I bet when you read that, it sounded like, eh, it just sounds sort of mean. Right? It just sounds sort of wrong. It sounds like God's just angry and he's jealous and he's just mad. It's not the idea. The picture is, the picture is of a husband Jealous for his bride, right? Would it be right for me to be jealous if, if some other man tried to woo Amy away from me? 
Absolutely it would be right. Why? Because she's my wife and I love her. And that's exactly what you see, in, even in this passage, right? And just in vivid display in Jesus. And that's what's offered to you tonight. And it's offered to you for free. And I pray that you'll take it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, that you love us in that sort of way is really hard to understand. Forgive us for the ways in which, the many ways in which we don't. Forgive us for the ways that we imagine you and try to relate to you in ways that just are not real. Thank you that you would come and, and show us what God is like. And not show us so that we can try to get there, but show us and just do it for us. We pray that we, Jesus, I pray that we would all lay hold of you tonight in faith. Pray that would be true of everyone in here. And if it's not, would you please make it so? And we ask it in your name. Amen.